Kia ora, I'm Jen. And I'm Sophie. Welcome to A Tardis of One's Own. A queer feminist journey through time and space and new who! Good evening. <laughs> it is very cold. It is. It's also been a while since we've done done the Who pod. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like eight weeks, maybe. Because it was six weeks last time June. we recorded. So, Because when did you go? It was, yeah, it was like the week before the middle of June. Mm-hmm. And now it's almost the middle of August. Yeah. <gasps> Holy shit. So much time has passed. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I still, I still remembered the main story threads. So it's okay. My shorter memory did not desert me. Yeah. Um, how are you, my friend? I am good, thank you. Yeah, yes, as you just said, it is cold. Seems like we're having the coldest bit of winter in August this year, mm. which, you know, Southern Hemisphere does what it does, but... Yeah, I was thinking about this today when I was seeing all the snow down south, like in Queenstown and stuff, and I'm like, I feel like August is always the coldest. Like, that's when the snow usually starts, but I might be just misremembering that. No, I think you're right in that if you go six months, six months, February is often hottest, right? So we are... Yeah. And then it starts getting cooler in, like, March, April. Yeah. So now maybe we're in the coldest time, August, and then I do remember, typically my birthday at the end of September, it's noticeably started to be warmer. Mm. So... I think this is the last hurrah of winter properly. Hope so. It's fucking cold, mate. It's fucking cold. It's also raining too, which is fine. If it's cold and crisp and nice, but if it's cold and damp... Yeah, it's boo. no good and windy. Yeah. Like, we had a strong southerly today, yeah. which really Oof. lowers the temperature. It's a penguiny. For those of you who are not from New Zealand, or <laughs> not from Wellington, in fact, the southerly is our nemesis. Yeah. We spend most of our time wondering if the wind is, in fact, a southerly, but you can always tell because it literally feels like it's blowing straight off the Arctic. Yeah, I think because it is. It's so cold. Because the South Island is slightly offset, so it's not like the landmass is directly south of us. No, that's right. So it kind of, it just comes up the east coast of the South Island, makes Christchurch cold, and then just blasts into Wellington, straight in the harbour opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she lowers the temperature significantly. Once it swings around to northerly, you're like, oh yeah, okay, okay. (laughs) Warmth. Yeah. With a chat. (laughs) But no, I've been good. I've been good. Fine, just truffle along, I feel. Hmm. Work work be working. Work be working. Yeah. Yeah, no, I also have nothing (laughs) to report. Nothing, nothing to add. Okay, okay. Yeah, just uh, just the part of the year when life is difficult because of the weather and general malaise of everyone around us. I feel like we're beset on all sides with illness. Yeah, oh yeah, it's disease fucking city right now. Yeah. Immunity is low. Vibes are off. Will is low as well. (laughs) Well, to yeah. persevere as low. Yeah. So anyway, with that in mind, we've got a <laughs> delightfully cheerful topic to discuss. We're talking about the season three finale, which is a three-parter, which is Utopia, The Sound of Drums, and Last of the Time Lords. So I'll do a quick summary, and then we can crack into it. So yeah. In the final arc of season three, Martha and the Doctor bump into his old friend Jack Harkness and head off to Malcasario, a distant planet where an old professor will do anything he can to keep his people alive. Plot twist, he's actually the Doctor's old nemesis, the Master. (gasps) The Doctor, Martha and Jack return to the 21st century to find they've missed the election and the Master, under the alias of Harold Saxon, is now the new Prime Minister. And he plans on terrorising the human race with mysterious toclophane. It is left to Martha to walk the Earth for a whole year and spread the legend of the Doctor in the hope that it will restore him to full strength with a vast telepathic pulse. So, it's just Bechdel, yes lot going on. Um, Bechdel, yes, but, like, not as much as you'd hope. No. In, so this is a triple. Yeah. So it is feature length, feature length. We're t- looking at, what, two f- hours 15? 
ish about 45 minutes yeah 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 so 2 hours 15 and there is not that much women talking to women no the only one I could really think of is Martha and Tesh talking about very briefly and then Martha the scientist the woman yeah oh sidebar is that Tosh no. is that Toshiko no oh my god can I look it up okay maybe it isn't but I was getting strong Toshiko vibes Chantho no Chantho no okay oh no it's not no oh I, I thought it really sounded like her okay well take that off my list I'd written Tosh inside green alien question mark <laughs> Incorrect. Cool, no, sorry, I interrupted you. Bechdel, yes. Yeah. And a discussion topic. Oh, yeah. So I thought there was a lot going on here. It's quite, you know, it's an intense couple of episodes. Lots of stuff happening. We could have gone with forgiveness. Mm. That was a good one. Could have gone with hope. Yep. As well. But I actually went for something that's been on my mind recently, and we've recently discussed even, and that is friendship, and particularly friendship breakups. And I think from a female slash queer lens, I think specifically female friendships. Um, There was a study in the Journal of Gender Studies that noted that recent research suggests that heterosexual and sexual minority women are more similar to each other in relationship development than they are to men who identify in similar sexual orientation. So the idea that your experience of a friendship is closer aligned with you as a female than with you of a male you're going to have a closer Mm. alignment with based on your identifying gender yeah versus your orientation your sexual orientation Hmm. and i thought in terms of feminism and queerness women often seem to have very intense female friendships Mm. and there can often be this projection that they are more than friends like (laughs) especially if someone in that friendship is already queer like i certainly have had friendships in the past where parents would be like you're very close to jen and like (laughs) Is, what's the deal with, you know, like lots of lots of my friends and friends of friends have thought that I have been in queer relationships with some of my friends. Okay. Based on the way that we have really close bonds. Mm. It's an interesting position to be in where there's this idea that there are two kinds of people in the world. People who believe that you can be in a platonic relationship even with someone that you're attracted to and people who just fundamentally believe that you cannot have platonic relationships. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's interesting to discuss. But also of course, the pain that you feel when friendships fall apart. And because female friendships tend to be, well, generalizing, but more intense yep. and more passionate Brand, in bright. a way, yeah. it's a, a level of pain that maybe is more experienced by women, these friendship breakups. And no mm. one really talks about it because we don't value friendships as much as romantic relationships, which we've spoken about. Yeah, literally this week, yeah. But I think more tellingly under the patriarchy, female friendships are always subordinate to relationships with men because that's what we're supposed to value. So often, you know, your friend get, gets a boyfriend, they disappear out of your life, right? Yeah. That's the relationship that needs to be prioritised. Um, I found this essay entitled Enduring Friendships by Judith Taylor, and she opens it with stories of women's friendships gone awry pervade feminist memoirs produced over the last 35 years. Whether in fiction or photography, literary reportage or political treatises, feminists have taken pains to describe the suffering they'd have endured at the hands of a female friend. And she goes about examining all these different kinds of literature and memoirs. And then she identifies three persistent themes, which she calls meditations on cruelty amongst women. Mm. And she says, first, accounts describe the pain that results when one woman refuses to recognize another as a friend, deserving of warmth and respect. The second accounts the detail of how cruelty among women is ritualized and performed communally. And it's like an ongoing cycle of breakup and reconciliation. And third, she says there's those who have survived cruelty treated as a form of feminist capital, like a badge of courage, that you have overcome this, like, ostracization or horrible environment. And it made me think of Mean Girls. Yeah. In the way that often teen girls will have these really intense relationships and these cliques and stuff. And often it is this constant push and pull. Like, you're not friends anymore, and now you're friends again. You're not friends anymore, and you're not friends again. 
You're just waiting to be allowed back into the friend group because that mm. what gives you social currency and like safety and yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And that same study I mentioned at the start in the gender studies journal, um, it's called Young Women's Passionate Friendships, a qualitative analysis. It observed that passionate friendships represent a unique relationship category that blurs the line between friendship and romantic relationships. And that research suggests that that's where the, the combination comes between heterosexual and sexual minority women. They mm. are more likely to have those kinds of relationships that blur the line. And we were talking about that as well. Like this this thing where it's like, it's platonic, but it's not it's not surface level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you sent me a meme, which... Yeah. Was... <laughs> yeah, not platonic, not romantic, but some secret third thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. And the reason I thought of friendships is because I think that we see the doctor's treatment of his friends really come back to him in this moment. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Martha has that line where she says, do you just get bored of us and disappear? Because she's seeing the future here. Like he literally admits that he abandoned Jack. He literally tries to run from him again. Just ghosting him, basically. Mm -hmm. Tries to shake him off. He leaves him behind on purpose. And then, yeah, it's just, he doesn't want to talk about it. Like, you know... Jack says to him, you abandoned me. And he's like, did I? Busy life? Moving on. You know, it's so dismissive. And we've known from previous encounters as well with like Sarah Jane, the way that these friendships end with these companions is not necessarily that great. And then of course, you've got the other element of the doctor and the master, right? Like he describes him, he was a friend at first. He's really compelled to like save him. They have this really close relationship. He bonds at first with Dr. Yana, before Professor Yana, before he knows that he's the master, right? So there's an element there of this is what is this what the master was like before he lost yeah. the plot, you know? Yeah. Like there's this natural bond. You've got poor Chanto being friends with Professor Yana as well, and then he treats her horribly and calls her an insect when he switches over, right? Hmm. And then Martha, I think, leaving at the end is a kind of friendship breakup as well. Like she chooses to end that relationship on her yeah. own terms. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the nature of the companion doctor friendship is often pretty absolute. Mm. Specifically Rose, like she is gone forever. Like he's known that, you know, she's locked in that parallel universe. There's no walking back on that. And like what happened with Sarah Jane, like he went and left and she spent ages thinking, you know, is he gonna come back? Will I see him again? Like not moving on. Yeah, that there's a there's a finality when he moves on because he's off doing his thing, right? He's gallivanting across time and space and people can't keep up with that. Yeah. And if he will pop back into their lives, you know, they will maybe age and die and everything. And yeah, so I didn't realize that this that Martha only did one season. I yeah. thought she did one more because no, David Tennant's three. got one more season, yep. right? Yeah. And then oh, so then do we get Donna and yeah, the dude? Donna's the fourth companion. Yeah. The no man, just Donna. I don't remember a man. Oh, I think I'm thinking of John Bishop, but I think he turns up later. Oh, no, that's way, way That's Jodie Whittaker's season, isn't oh, it? Oh, Jesus. Oh, God, that is years Or away. is it? I don't know. But, but anyway, yeah, yeah we've so still it's got just Donna. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, okay. Mm, yeah, no, well, mm, yeah, so interesting. I think having Jack here as well, like, there's lots of friendship dynamics that are happening here. So, like, Jack turns up. Obviously, him and the Doctor have this very deep, but also quite traumatic relationship. And Martha isn't really in on what's happened at all. Because like you say, the doctor's being very dismissive. But then also Jack knows Rose. Yeah. So then Martha is like, oh, for fuck's sake, this is something I feel excluded to. Yeah. And she's kind of on the outside of that and being like, oh, you know. And uh, there's some kind of like throwaway comments that I think are just a bit of a, of a low hit. But like, oh, she's blonde. Like, of course she's blonde. Yeah, a little bit of a misogyny check. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but it is that thing of, you know, when your friend runs into another friend, especially when you're younger and you're like, yeah. oh my God, you have another friend. Like my friend from camp. How dare you have a best friend <laughs> in the summer? That's not me, you know? Yeah. And I feel like there's a little bit of that. But also just for Jack, like spending all this time thinking that Rose was dead, basically, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, all this time. Also, uh, Jack, I think I was, I was like, why do I like Jack and Torchwood more than I like Jack and Who? And I think part of it is... In Who, he's always third wheeling. Yeah. He's always like... He's not the main character. No, no, no. And like... But he also feels like he has kind of less agency as well. Like he's just... Yeah, like he's not the main character. He's a sidekick. He comes in to help. He typically saves the day at given points. Like he'll have something on him or he'll remember he has a skill. He is immortal so he can go into the nuclear reactor. Mm. Like there's something about him that's very like Chekhov's captain. Yeah. <laughs> but he's there because he'll be used in a certain way that there was always going to further the plot. Whereas in Torchwood, like there's a lot more space, time, you know, for him to really have depth. Yeah. I think it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, he's always third wheeling because I feel like Martha is often third wheeling as well. And the fact that mm. they seem to get to a really good point. They've got a good banter. Mm. They become quite good friends, which yeah. is quite lovely. Like, again, having that friendship and both of them choosing to stay behind at the end, right? Like, Jack ultimately yeah. chooses his friends. He's not yeah. going to go traveling. Yeah. Martha chooses her family, who, yeah. by the way, it cracks me up that her brother was not part of this time reversal thing. So he's not part of this family trauma that the rest of them have all shared. Yeah. Can you imagine how that feels for him? Because he's going to know there's something off Because, like, with in them. a day, like, a day has passed or whatever, like, a moment has passed, and suddenly everyone's got fucking thousand yard stares, <laughs> looking like they've come back from Vietnam. Yeah. But, and he's like, whoa, guys, did something happen? And they're like. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I think we do ourselves a disservice by not talking about friendship breakups, rather, the same yeah. way that we do with romantic relationships. I think it has just as much impact on people than any other relationship ending. And it's weird that no mm. one ever talks about it. No one ever says, oh, my friend has stopped talking to me. It's like there's this weird shame attached to mm. friendship breakups. Or because you have more than one friend, it shouldn't impact you that one person has decided to like ghost you or whatever. Because that's usually what it is as well. It's never like an actual conversation like you would have. Like if you've been with a, someone for five years, they're very unlikely to ghost you. Like there will be some sort of breakup conversation. Mm -hmm. Whereas a friend from five, 17 years might just ghost you. They might just never yeah. reply to your messages. Which was awful. That would be horrible. I can't imagine, like... And, and yeah, and you're totally right in that there's a minimization that happens mm. in the narrative around, like, oh, well, you you know, you've got your partner or you've got your husband like or your wife. Like, it's not, you know, it's not... Not the same, yeah. But often a lot of people will see, especially if they're not living with a partner, they'll see their friend more than a very mm. close friend, maybe more or the same amount, like... And have a different close bond. Yeah, it's kind of fucked. I think we need to we need to change the narrative. Reframe the narrative, definitely. Yeah, and I do think, and I said this point again when we were having our lovely lunchtime chats at work where we attempt to solve, like, all, the world's solve all the world's problems, that a lot of this is a cis heteronormativity. Yeah. Like, you should be pair bonding, a man with a woman, and then you make your partner your romantic and sexual partner because obviously every relationship has both of those because mm -hmm. that's the gold standard mm, yep. they should make them the centre of your world and then any other friends may come and go but they are like satellites to this kind Superfluous of core superfluous to your needs yeah, yeah absolutely because you're about your it's all about your spouse because again obviously yeah like this is the person you're kind of pledged yeah. to yeah and as we were saying like it's 
mad to me that you would expect one person to do all that for you. And I say Mm -hmm. that as someone who was in a kind of heteronormative relationship for five years and we were very much like each other's best friends. And I think Mm -hmm. that was a mistake in retrospect. I think trying to make one person be everything to you, which is what you think is what's going to happen in a relationship. And I think there was a level of immaturity maybe on my part for thinking that that was fine. Because in retrospect, I think having a fuller life and having more people just is better it takes Mm. the pressure off the relationship yep takes the pressure of when things aren't going well in the relationship because you're like well it's not supposed to fulfill all my needs it's not supposed to do this thing and if that one bit's not working that's not the end of the world because i've got all this other stuff yeah going on but if one person is the only one carrying that weight it's just madness to me like i don't have friends who do the same thing for me and that sounds you know like it's transactional like they do something for me but yeah you know i've got different friends who go to different events with me or Mm -hmm. i will do certain things with other friends and they don't all serve the same function in my life so why would you expect your romantic partner to fulfill all functions in your life no i totally agree and i don't think that is transactional i think it's okay to say hey people are in your life because they are valuable to you Hmm. and if a friendship has to break up because someone ceases to be valuable yeah that's also okay and i don't think like we talked about this recently that like actually uh, maybe oh i don't know the parent the parent child relationship is probably potentially a kind of exception to this point so we can sidebar that but otherwise love shouldn't be unconditional Mm. and sometimes people get stuck into especially with relationships but also with friendships of like oh you've known them your whole life they're your friend like yeah, they're having a bad time, whatever, so they can treat you like shit and you just suck it up. Yeah. And that's not cool. No, and I think when I was reading about this in some one of these essays, they were talking about the fact that sometimes people will persist or try to make a friendship work, even though, because they've been friends for years, they've been friends in school, but mm. e- their entire lives have gone on different paths, different trajectories, and so every interaction they have feels incredibly forced, which mm. means you want to have less conversations with that person because it just feels hard. Mm-hmm. And that, that doesn't serve anyone and you shouldn't just hold on to things just for the sake of it. And I do think, you know, not all friendships are going to last forever. I think it's okay to have relationships that are only for a season or for a time. Like, that doesn't mean they're not valuable. They serve their purpose. Yeah. But I also think there are some people that you will have friendships with that will last regardless just because of where you've gotten to. But that's usually yeah. through mutual respect and communication. It's not mm-hmm. something that you can just... You still have to work at these things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where that thing comes in where you weigh up whether the work you're doing is worth yeah. what you're getting yeah. emotionally from that. Yeah, absolutely. You make a great point before with not expecting a romantic partner to be everything to you. And I do strongly believe you're a better partner to anyone, to, whether it's a, a platonic or romantic or whatever relationship, if you have a... if you're most fulfilled. Mm. So if you have a range of people, and that could be two people, it could be five. You know, you don't have to have like a billion friends. I definitely don't. Mm. But if you have multiple people looking after your needs in different ways, you're going to be a better, more rounded person to all of them. And more resilient, I think. Yeah, because absolutely. if one lets you down, it's not the end of the world. 100%. And a support network yeah. is... Uh, I've definitely had that before. Like in long-term, pretty het normative relationships where my partner has been my best friend. Mm. They're also my chief support network. And so then when those relationships have broken down... It's way worse. Because you're losing the person that you would go to for all of that support and you don't have an existing robust network to catch you. Mm. And then it's just you can feel unmoored. Yeah, because you've lost everything that tied you down, basically. And I think maybe that's what happens in this episode, that Martha remembers that she does have a a network Mm. in her family, right? Because she has been off travelling and she hasn't been telling them things and 
she's quite dismissive even Tish leaves her voicemail and she's like I don't care about your new job and actually listening to her would have been quite beneficial yeah would have found out about Saxon earlier and then she makes that decision being like actually I'm going to prioritise this over gallivanting around with you someone who never prioritises me and never meets my needs yeah and that doesn't mean our time together wasn't valuable it just means that yeah yeet and delete yeah our time is <laughs> done so yeet and delete um, <laughs> has been a term that me and Jenna are using to describe my approach to, I wouldn't say eradicating, but, you know, if I take probably a slightly more hardline approach to removing things in my life that aren't serving me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's become known as yeet and delete. <laughs> I quite like yeet and delete. Yeah. Basically, if someone is being, is constantly betraying your boundaries and not yeah. respecting you and yeah. not bringing anything to the table, just... Uh, Yeet and delete. and delete. But you usually tell people you're yeeting them. Oh, fuck yeah. No, I yeah. will let them know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I definitely have this thing with friendships where I find it really emotionally hard to maintain long distance friendships. Mm. Like I've tried, but I find it just doesn't work for me. Especially like short term is different. Like mm. if I had a close friend who was going to work in America for a year, I'd be like, cool, obviously like maintain that friendship, like you'll be coming back. But I had a strong friend group in New Zealand who were from overseas a few years ago and we were really close for like maybe 18 months. And then all of them went back to their countries. Their visas came to an end. They wanted to go back to their families. And so they all went back to their countries and we tried to maintain a friendship. They definitely tried to maintain a friendship with me and... I just found it increasingly difficult until it got to the point where I had to be like, guys, you know, I love you. I appreciate the time we had together so much. Mm. If I'm where you are or if you're ever in New Zealand, like 100%, I'd love to see you, I'd love to catch up, but I can't, like it makes me miss you too much and it just doesn't feel comfy and fulfilling and, and natural to mm. to keep this kind of thread going when there's just not, yeah, you know, it's yeah. not working and they were upset and... You can delete. Yeah, that's it. But I think there's something to that. It is hard to maintain a relationship when you're in different countries and you're trying to have that friendship thing. And this is where I actually really love social media because I have a lot of friends who are in different parts of the world. And it's enough engagement sometimes just to be able to leave a comment on an Instagram photo mm. or to like an Instagram story or whatever and just have that that real like little touch points. Like we're not really active in each other's lives, but that's enough for me where I can be like, cool. You know, I know yeah. what's happening with you. You know what's happening with me. And then if we're ever in the same place, we'll have a drink or whatever and catch up properly. Like I find that easier than if I had, if I didn't have that and I had to enter some sort of email situation where I had to email all my friends, that would never have worked. Like I would have drifted out of touch with so many people. Yeah. So that's, I suppose, one benefit of social media. Does it excuse all the ills? <laughs> Does it excuse uh, Brexit? Probably no. not. <laughs> Lol. Okay. Probably crack on into random observations because I feel like she's going to be a big one today. I mean, she is, yeah. I probably have one more take on the friendship thing. Yeah, go on. The, from this kind of friendship breakup from a queer angle. Yeah. That a lot of people have had to, probably had to end friendships, especially ones from maybe childhood, mm-hmm. when they've realised that they need to express who they are in a way that maybe doesn't tally with... Yep, 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 yep. Their upbringing. Their upbringing, yeah, absolutely. And that can be really, really traumatic, right? Yeah. And I think this is also an interesting thing about queer friendships, how they become family units. Mm. Um, More of a tendency to be a found family situation. I think also very intense friendships, right? Because you find Mm -hmm. your people, people who understand 
your journey, especially if you've been through some sort of alienation where you've been cut off from your friends and family for who you are, right? Yep. So finding people who understand you on that level. And then, of course, if that friendship then ends, that's incredibly painful as well because it's this double rejection. Yeah. Yeah. You can see how that would change your relationship. And also just the fear angle that comes with being queer and coming out and never knowing how someone's going to react to that. Even people that you think will be fine and that you've known for years and you're you know, known all your life and you're fairly confident in who they are and what their politics are, there's always an element of fear. I know and I am very grateful I've never had that happen, but I can't imagine. I can't imagine being worried that this person that you love and trust and has been your closest person for years, you being able to say to them, oh, you know, I'm bi, and them then being like, no. oh, well, we're done now. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously for the bi person, you, you eat and delete, like you don't need that person. Yeah, life. yeah, yeah. But the feelings of the time would be awful yeah yeah it's just a horrible horrible situation because it brings up so many things like that sort of break up like the self-worth issues and the, mm-hmm. the fear of rejection and it doesn't matter who is dumping you being dumped is yeah always bad. and and you know for most people uh prompts a level of self-reflection of like is it me yeah and especially if like, it happens repeatedly right yeah, like some, fuck yeah some people might not like i've had friends who really struggle to maintain friendships and they'll be like why am i unlovable and like it's not you you attract terrible people yeah that's so. it or, or like it's not you necessarily as a person but you're consistently making bad decisions it's the like, anxious avoidant thing you yeah, know? yeah yeah like and it's like sometimes it is you and then that's a learning opportunity and that's fucking hard yeah and then you have to do all that growth and work to like change your situation and come to terms with yourself and your own behavior which is never a fun time no not at all because most of us want to believe that we are perfect and everyone else is to blame but unfortunately that doesn't seem to be the case which is very (laughs) inconvenient yeah which i think is maybe the doctor also goes through life like that like it's definitely not me (laughs) i'm not the problem it's everyone else spoiler you are the problem (laughs) you can regenerate but you can't change no and that's interesting that he has regenerated which i briefly forgot about because like when jack Caesar. Oh yeah, he's like, oh, you got a new face. And I was like, oh yeah, of course, because the last time you saw nine, you don't, you've never seen ten. Yeah. And uh, I'd forgotten that that had happened. I was just like, yeah, it's the doctor, but he recognizes him anyway, right? Because yeah, yeah, on like some sort of vibey doctor vibes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I've essentially got an A4 page of squiggles, random obs, random obs. <laughs> so I mean, we can start. To take us away dude do you want to start episode to episode or overall let's just go all over the place and be okay. chaotic oh so. headline really enjoyed these three yep. I was like oh god three but then I was like actually no I think my favourite season finale admittedly this is the third but yeah. favourite season finale and I would actually hazard to say favourite multi-parter yeah yeah, I think I, it's got everything going for it. I think they really land it. I think it's got good pacing. Like there's yeah, no moments dude, where they pacing. feel it feels dead, or yep. you're like, you, we don't need this. The and cliffhangers are good. Yeah. Like it ends on cliffhangers. Like every episode leaves you going, mm-hmm. what is happening? <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. Genuine twists, right? And also, I think because the Doctor loses, like he's constantly losing. Yeah. And that's actually quite entertaining because in a way, he's not the main character in these episodes, right? It's the Master. It's Martha. Like. And Doctor, the Doctor has such main character energy. Like, he wants to be mm. the one making the decisions, making the calls, the one being able to be like, but ha-ha, you didn't consider this. I am amazing. Here's me saving the day with a sonic screwdriver. He loves those, like, big reveal yeah. and I'm more intelligent than you moments. Which he does get in the finale. Yeah, at the end. But you're right, he is thwarted. 
yeah, repeatedly. Like, laser screwdriver who'd have Sonic <laughs> yeah. and like, oh, you think your little chameleon thing's gonna work on me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the cliffhanger when the ma- the master steals the TARDIS as well. Like, yeah. he just takes it away from him. Because the Doctor can be so invincible as a hero and we've spoken about this before how they have to like put the TARDIS in a different room. Like, <laughs> yeah, but, like the TARDIS is always broken. Or just in the room with the, the sun. Like, oh yeah, it's a hot it? room. The TARDIS is in the hot room. Anything to take some power away from him. Yeah. And I think as we briefly chatted on before we started recording but the way that it pulls together all these threads throughout the season like they really laid the groundwork really well almost everything Mm. pays off in this finale like even the fact that the doctor is restored at the end through the psychic network is like kind of the carrier knights teaching them the power of the name and the power Mm. of a word right and like martha's faith that in him that's been set up since gridlock really comes through yeah we learn about the changing of the biology and everything and human nature and blink we know that the tardis is a really powerful machine that if it falls into the wrong hands it could create this horrible thing so it all really comes together really tightly i think and really satisfyingly as a viewer because when you don't know you're like what is that (laughs) that that reveal of the master like it's actually genuinely great at the Mm. end of utopia it's genuinely like even knowing what's coming i was still like oh my god this is so good like you are not alone Yeah. yeah i will say this is a classic well 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions <laughs> for the doctor yeah because uh, maybe if he didn't depose poor Harriet Jones with his horribly misogynistic whisper, he wouldn't have created this power vacuum that the master then so conveniently went into Phil. 100%. And he, he didn't bother to follow up on that or check in on it. Like, he didn't learn mm-hmm. anything from when he's done this previously, like in series one with Satellite 5 or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, nah, you can delete. Yeah, literally. I know. But will he learn from it? No. Probably not. <laughs> so, yeah, it is frustrating. Utopia opens with Captain Jack riding the TARDIS <laughs> into the future <laughs> so like when he was riding the bomb yeah <laughs> just likes riding things just like clinging to the outside of the tartar the doctor yeah. is so dismissive of him the way he stands over him when he's like dead on the ground he looks so disgusted yeah like he's looking at something at the bottom of his shoe it's not right? flattering it's not flattering to the doctor no okay. and every time martha tries to help jack he's like no no yeah, no, just no. leave him. Just leave him. And it'll just be like, <gasps> bad life again. Okay, so f- continuity sidebar. In the Torchwood end of the season, he gets zoom, 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 zoomed by the TARDIS inside No, he hears it and then he runs after it. So at the start of Utopia, you see oh, him running across the plaza. And he runs out. Yeah. But it goes voo, voo, voo and like fluffs the papers well, and stuff landed, like it was in there. It, it's landed on the psyche, on the, on the elevator. Top yeah. 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 So it okay, okay. What the the air the vents, come through yeah. the <laughs> through the gap cool okay okay <laughs> I love that Martha's like Cardiff I'm like yeah I, don't I know amazing I did put that too Cardiff reft Torchwood crossover I do love that opera house slash concert hall they've yeah, got there yeah it's really cool it's it very cool. reminds me a little bit of the Sydney Opera House just cool looking and it's got yeah. these like in these stones horizon sing that's what it says on the front of it mm. it's very cool I quite like it it's beautiful I think Ten is quite self-serving in a lot of ways in his attempt to redeem the master, right? Like, he wants to stop him, Mm. but he also wants to save him from himself because he doesn't want to be alone anymore and he wants a little friend. Like, he's also his former friend, right? But he's still the only Time Lord in existence. And I wonder, because he tries to forgive him at the end, you know, he says to him even beforehand, like, everything's changed. It's only the two of us. Yeah. We're the only ones left and I'm not here to kill him. I'm here to save him. And then at the end, he's like got him cradled in his arms Mm. and he's like, I forgive you. Is this the doctor's place to do that, really? Because he's denying people who have suffered greatly justice yeah. in this moment. Yeah, and he is. He can't really be doing that. And also, he, yeah, I think he is too close 
he's too close to the situation because he's the last of his kind, right? Yeah. And this is objectively a horrible person who 100% should not be his friend, should be hard eaten and deleted. But he's so emotional. And I think this is fantastic David Tennant acting again in that yeah. moment. He's so affected by the death of this man who, because he, for a moment, he thought he wasn't the last of his kind anymore, mm. right? And then it's just like, you are not alone. And I love that the master is such a shithead that he's like, I would rather die than mm. let you have this victory. Fuck. <laughs> like, get fucked. So petty. I live we for love- it. <laughs> we stand. Yeah. I know it's problematic, but we stay. Yeah. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I think another, like another angle on topic, because like you said before, there could be like a billion, mm. but one could be not just men, but specifically men who have suffered. Yeah. So like the Doctor and, and Jack, they've seen so much. They've lived through so much. Like when they're finally back together, the Doctor, obviously, we know what he's been through. And Jack's like, you sent me back to 1869 and I've had to live every single fucking day and die multiple times. Like, yeah. just think of that. And then we end up having you know discovering how much the master's been through and just like these are just broken husks yeah really traumatized people and i think yeah. you know weirdly out of all the prisoners held captive jack is the one who seems to be coping the best like he's not that bothered he's like i die three times a week and it's really <laughs> disturbing to think about it because at that point in his life you know he's he's so accustomed to dying and horrible things happening to him and being tortured and so he's just like yeah being tortured and killed over and over for a year she yeah, no big she i'm no fine big. Don't even um, need therapy. And you're like, compared to some of the things that he is put through and tortured, it's really not that bad. And that's just fucked up. It's really fucked up. Like, Martha spends a year roaming the earth. I know. Through some sort of hellscape, like Mad Max future. Yeah, can you imagine? And knowing that if she gets killed, that's it. That's it for humanity. Like, she can't she can't yeah. die because she's the only one carrying the hope. And she has to run this ruse where she has to pretend to get this stuff so the master yeah, like yeah. double con, the, the, right? That's so weird. But also the toclophane, like that's fucked as well. Yeah. Like these people who were sold oh. this dream yeah. beyond the end of the world. Human heads put in little... What do they call them? Mini Death Stars. Yeah. With blades. And then, you know, they basically just regress into this childlike state. Horrible, right? Yeah, and it's really this, horrible. And there's this stuff, you know, the human race persevering and we always return to this fundamental shape. And isn't it great? You know, Jack has that line as well where he says... he's. Doctor asks Jack if he actually wants to die and he's like, well now, being here at the end of it and seeing everyone surviving, isn't that fantastic? So he uses Nine's catchphrase, mm, even yeah. when he's talking to Ten, which I really love. And then the Doctor's like, you're the only man you'll ever be happy with is yourself, basically. Which yeah. Is but yeah, the Toclophane have to come back and be these horrible killing machines because this is they've basically just been driven mad by the end of the world. Yeah. Which is horrific. And begs the question, what is the point of surviving to the end of the world? Like, great that the human race has survived that long, but to what point of purpose? Well, and that they try and explain everything with the paradox machine, right? Because it's like, this is the big paradox, but like, that we've not changed the future necessarily, have we? Because no. we kind of have, and that we've changed what happened to, like, Saxon got foiled, but like, is humanity still going to now progress? Or have, like, we branched off? Maybe we've branched off a different timeline now. Let's think that, because otherwise it's fucking grim. Also, why must there yet again be cannibal humans? And why must they do uh, weird pissing? Like that woman pissing in the <laughs> tunnel. They're so weird. And they ended up being like a really actually quite small part of Utopia. And I was just like, this is very odd. Like With their sharp teeth. I'm yeah. Like, what's the point of them? No, you I don't, don't need them for the do, They reminded me of have you ever seen the time machine? Where like, you know, the time the OG time machine movie mm, yeah, and then they, yeah. it travels through time but not space, so mm. it stays in one spot. And it zooms way, way forward. And they did the remake with Samantha Mumba, the singer in it. And there's like these future like human things that have like live in caves and like, they've mm. become very like basic humans and it's just like weird I don't yeah. know why we do this like savages for want of a less problematic word thing yeah I don't it was not 
like it's, face tattoos it was giving me like i feel like romans is, coming into europe and being like look at the savages it does feel very like that in the point of teeth and the cannibalism because this is what happens right i feel like this is what every dystopian thing you ever watch everything there's always cannibals with sharp yeah. teeth roaming around i'm like is this really what we're gonna devolve into is this really what you think is gonna happen because i don't necessarily know if i believe that no and it's like i don't know yeah it was weird i wasn't into it i do love the doctor being like we should really really go like he knows this is messed up and they shouldn't be there but he can't help himself and he runs yeah. outside like a little child. And then, just want to say, when mm-hmm. he sees Jack for the first time, we've got the little Torchwood music coming through in the background. I quite like that. Yeah. And then, of course, Jack's incessant flirting. Well, and yeah. And then he realises that Martha loved the Doctor. And then Jack says, you to her. And I was like, is he saying it because he knows every companion falls for him, mm. like Rose did? Or is he saying it because... He's ca- carrying he... a torch. Yeah. And we could be interpreted, you know, either way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we've got enough for them for the implication that he's into the doctor. I don't know. I think Jack's just into everyone, but I don't know if he's like in love with them. He flirts with everyone, right? I That's think he joke. means just like but I, every time the doctor person that finds yeah. ends up loving him and the doctor is like fucking oblivious. It's really toxic. The doctor makes toxic friendships and relationships. I don't like it. So they have that moment of really intense eye contact. Mm. So when Jack says we should be frozen to death and the doctor says Martha and I may be not so sure about you, Jack, and then they just have really intense eye contact for a very long time and i'm like what is this oh a little frisson and then he says to him you know when he's policing whether he can shoot or not like Mm. he's like why are you telling him not to shoot well he's not my responsibility and that's what he says later about the master as well he's my responsibility yeah i'm gonna take him in and take him traveling and redeem him and the master's like i ain't your pet son i ain't just gonna lie down and die yeah middle episode Mm. i think had some just varied and bizarre moments obviously we're back in the 21st century because much easier production costs (laughs) but despite that i think overall these episodes do have a noticeably higher production value yeah like we had that cool little gallifrey exposition cgi moment beautiful gallifrey like really good and how fucked up is that time lord culture though when he's like yeah we're just gonna make these children stare into the stare into the time void and some of them go mad but that's cool some of them go mad some of them are fine some of them you know get power crazy yeah Yeah, i agree i think the production value was higher definitely the only bit where i was like this is a bit lol was when jack was in the radiation room because it was just a red filter (laughs) yeah yeah Um, and then that man did a very dramatic no when his friend died (laughs) (laughs) yeah in that second episode the sky aircraft carrier did captain america rip off because in Captain America, they've got a Sky aircraft they carrier. They do, they've got and that shields. And after this, yeah. I think they ripped off Doctor Who. I mean, I'm not sure when that appeared in the Marvel comics, because it might oh, have been fuck, in the... Oh, fuck, maybe, yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe they... But it does look very similar Someone's visually. Someone's ripping off someone else. And it's not us. It looks the same. Don't you think it's interesting that when Martha tells the Doctor, like, she sprints over to tell him that he's got a fob watch like yours, right? Yeah, oh yeah, the end of Utopia, yeah, yeah. And the Doctor yeah. is still like, yeah, cool, he's still focused on making the rocket fly. He doesn't immediately yeah. rush off. He's like, what? To figure that out. Which I think if I was him and suddenly someone reported to me that it's... Yeah. Because if he'd done that, maybe he would stop before and he would... And it's the year completely... one trillion that watches survived for like a trillion years. I mean, ugh, suspension of disbelief. They didn't have to make it a trillion years. But anyway. Do you think how bad time travel must be? You know, like he describes it as a space hopper rather than a sports car, which the TARDIS is. Boys and their and toys. And you mean, I just experience, imagine any form of travel through the lens of intense car sickness. <laughs> I have such a bad vestibular system. 
I can't anything I'm like oh god it would be sick that would make me sick that looks horrific no I just think the jet lag must be so bad for them coming back from the year one trip like there must be some sort of psychological systemic body function circadian rhythm (sighs) impact especially maybe the I could buy that the TARDIS protects you but what they're doing is just warping through space yeah based on Jack's little thingy thingy yeah we're not even around the the and that's surely like the time agent thing is like meant for one right but then maybe it's built to like help other people I know there's a lot I did I wasn't gonna make a point about it but I felt that there's like gaps in the the law yeah well gaps in the kind of internal science as it were or I'm yeah. just interested in how that would feel. I think it'd be pretty brutal. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely do. I mean, I think it's also interesting that in Sound of Drums, we've got this reporter trying to save the First Lady. Like, she's trying to warn her. And yeah. I feel like this is a trend in Doctor Who that we've seen previously about reporters trying to rescue people and trying to come in with the mm. truth. And it's an interesting framing. Ooh, Slitheen, that one in yeah. the toilet. It's an interesting framing of reporters because now, these days, journalists are such derided individuals. Yeah, that is interesting. That is a good point. Like, this is them being lauded and doing this job of actually investigating which these days everyone's like meh journalism yeah anyway cameo in the second episode from McFly ultimate boy band circa like 2004 to 2008 or whatever in England it was quite a short period wasn't it I think they reformed though I think yeah no they are back together yeah they've all got like kids and spouses now they're doing they're doing a take that they're doing cruises like the Backstreet Boys do some of them got together with some of Busted and they made Muck Busted the super group (laughs) that was a while ago yeah yeah it was like the ones that were obviously like still gripping onto their youth and hadn't made enough money yeah they needed money yeah but that was like 10 years ago maybe anyway a mass gassing I feel like it's not okay you can't I don't don't. you can't gas people in a room no it's not it's too (laughs) yeah too soon it's too soon I can't deal with it I do think him opening and closing the door is quite funny why that woman just, was it, the reporter was screaming and he's just like, <gasps> yeah, <laughs> so dumb. But yeah, it was he funny. He really nails the childlike humour. Yeah, 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 he does. John Sim. Yeah, he's doing, yeah. doing a great job. Also, the TARDIS has like a Yale deadlock on it. Like, you have like a better lock. Like, he's just like, oh, he's deadlocked the door. Oh, fuck, can't get in now. Like, oh, we're foiled. <laughs> Maybe that's product placement have we considered yeah, that yeah like Yale whoa yeah because they're not doing well every single door in the world has a Yale lock well <laughs> oh it's like God. Coke Spawn Coke has to keep advertising right they no, don't, they stop. don't that is so dumb they don't stop advertising you gotta keep on your game same with Yale locks they oh stop my God. yelling <laughs> Stop yelling about it. The women's FIFA Women's World Cup is happening in Wellington. And the two main sponsors that I've seen on every fucking poster is McDonald's and Coke. These are two products. They, first of all, not not going hand in hand with exercise and healthy outcomes. But like, whatever, everything in moderation, fine, meh. But also, they don't need to add. No one is going to be like, what, Coke? Should I try this new thing? Wow! Well, how do you keep your market domination? If you come for the king, you better not mess. <laughs> Jen is finding every opportunity in life to quote Omar from The Wire and did that recently in the office to our senior manager. <laughs> because someone was coming for me, the implied king, and they missed. And so amazing. I made quite a scene in a meeting. Yeah. And that was what was the topic of conversation. Yeah. So I then rounded off the experience with, well, if you come for the king, you better not there. I witnessed this in the office, an open plan office. It was fucking amazing. Um, yeah. I stand by it. It was a great <laughs> mic drop moment yeah. in the meeting. And it was a mic drop moment in the office when I said that. <laughs> 
so yes um, yeah so i think it's interesting to make them fugitives i quite enjoy that i like that they strip mm. the power from them i noticed that martha had to go and find them food yet again martha yeah fucking hell running yeah, out no, there. Know, yeah. Um, and then of course her family end up being servants to yeah. the master and i'm and like wow it's quite up. Yeah. an interesting parallel to how many times martha has had to serve slash look after the doctor like literally being his maid mm. in human nature and now his her family is also put in this position of servitude. Yeah. Maybe there's a race angle there that... It's uncomfortable. Yeah. I will give a shout out to Jack making everyone tape. Janto's taught yeah, him well. Yeah, he has. Aww. And then Martha's flat being blown up with literal sticks to die. Like, <laughs> where did the master even find that? Like, no, I... <laughs> yeah, I put bomb in my notes. <laughs> so turning to the fugitive aspect of that third episode, Last of the Time Lords, Dr. Tom is a hottie. Dr. Tom is the dude from Lucifer. Lucifer. I know, I realised that. I was like, since I wrote down the notes from yesterday, I was like, where do I recognise him? I did not know this. I've never seen Lucifer, but my housemate walked in as I was watching it and she went, it's Lucifer. And I'm like, is it? I feel no, yeah, because I've only watched a little bit of Lucifer and I was kind of, I think you'd be into it. Maybe we make it, maybe put it on our list. See, I was very anti it, my ex tried to make me watch it and I was just like, I don't have time for these shows. I think I was burnt out from my supernatural times and I'm like I don't oh, okay, I don't yeah. want to watch any more bad fucking CW shows basically. yeah okay okay interesting but maybe I can moot that once we get through Teen Wolf yeah Tom Ellis Tom yeah. Ellis that's his name yeah okay no cool I mean I stand by him being a hottie yeah just having a whole fucking year like running the resistance for Martha and also I feel like is a year enough time to, to have like done this the globe but like in a super low key even though he's fucking omniscient with these satellites and she's like just roaming around doing her thing like I didn't feel like that was enough time it felt a bit you could have made it three years like it didn't have to be could have a year. Been ten years. it could have been yeah I mean they couldn't have aged that much but yeah it would have been very dramatic if it was like three years or five years imagine yeah like, I know because everything would have been amplified and it would have made it slightly more believable it did take me out of the moment to be like she's done all that in a year anyway I love that the master really laid the groundwork here like he really put in the time to set this up like before Mm. as soon as he got there he's like okay Mm. this is what we're doing he's zipping back and forth getting everything in line he works in the government portfolios he needs to to get the job done he's working within the system to execute his plan which is actually really clever like he gets set up to do the archangel network thing like he's working as the minister for that he's the minister for defense like he's doing all these things which implies yeah. that all politicians are evil. <laughs> I think it's cool to see a villain who just doesn't come in being a baddie and just like fuck shit up. Like mm. he's he's worked through the bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yes, he is like telepathically kind of mind controlling everyone a little bit, you know. Yeah. But still. Yeah, still. You can see this <laughs> happening. Like I find this very Points believable. For effort. Doctor is old and living in a tent. <laughs> then he gets he gets zoomed forward to show his full 900 years of age and he looks like Dobby the herself. See, I've written Dr. Dobby in my I notes. creepy Dobby doctor. Yeah. But then my housemate came in and she was like, this is giving pre-regeneration Voldemort. And I'm like, oh. he does look like Voldemort before he's dropped into the cauldron to be reborn. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, cool. I also love that both me and you were, were like Dobby. Such a Dobby. She said I had to give her credit. So it says in my notes, dash oh. her initials. So I've yeah. given her credit, everyone. Yeah. I did not claim Shout pre-generation to Voldemort. Unnamed housemate. I really love the deranged joy that he gets in being a maniac. Like him being like, hmm, that's a nice word, isn't it? Decimate. Let's remove one tenth of the world's population. Like Thanos could never have this oh, much glee. I mean, also, I really love 
a technically accurate use of decimate because i recognize in like modern lingo like we we use decimate to mean like totally destroy which and words change meaning over time it's happened with mm-hmm. lots of words but like the true meaning the latin root deci you know this is you know reduced by one tenth and it has a horrible horrific legacy with roman soldiers decimating yeah. and it was cool to see that because he's like a super baddie and he's actually like leaning into it yeah i really think that there's a lot of bible rhetoric for the master i think they really mm. cement that god complex but then that's contrasted with the doctor literally floating in the air at the end when he's like yeah. reborn i'm like there's a lot of religious imagery i know considering Doctor it's written jesus by an atheist reborn savior of mankind meh he's just so desperate to get a rise out of the doctor right like he just tries so hard oh dobby doctor Americans not coming off well. Really, English people will take any opportunity to be like, fuck you, Americans. We're going to make you ambassador for humanity and look like an asshole. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that he was the president-elect because that implies that he hasn't yeah, been sworn in I know, which is a random detail. So like, is this just a mistake on the part of the writers or is this just literally the guy who's just been voted and being like that nah, i'm gonna fucking i'm gonna make my play from the world stage yeah. i'm gonna be the first contact i'm getting in there i'm not even sworn in yet i've got no power but i'm going yeah i think they've just done that and yeah. now they've killed just her very weird so detail. what happens now in yeah. america when you're president you've yeah. literally just elected but hasn't been sworn in yet i think yeah, they just like make him t- they and they meant like elected president but they said president-elect yeah but... which is a thing yeah, yeah yeah it is it's before they have the thing but it's after the votes happen. Yeah, so, so what happens like, if he gets... It was like Biden during yeah. the insurrection. Like, what happens if your president gets murdered in that bet? Like, if you assassinate them or whatever. Yeah, does it go to whoever got the second most votes? Oh no, my God. Because in America, that's only one of two people. <laughs> no, or they is have it the to VP? start again. Do they just go straight oh, to the no, VP? Oh, no, they... Oh, the VP elect. And then imagine, you're like, I didn't vote for this person. Well, and then the, the president who's still there would be like, hey, they didn't vote for the, the VP elect. But, no, but you're voting for the team, right? You're voting for the party. Oh, yeah. I know. I mean, you're not, but everyone says that. Like when you vote for a prime minister here. Yeah. Elections in October, everyone vote. Not telling you who to vote for, but everyone vote. Obviously not national. Or act. Or act. But Don't if go you're listening, righty. Righty, not good. If you're voting for act and you're listening to this podcast, I'm very sorry because I don't understand how this has happened. Or actually, you know, if you, yeah, if you want to vote for actually listening to this podcast, email us. I'm fascinated. Mainly because we think the act are like horrific. Maybe there's some, no, there's no. <laughs> you know, I feel, are we tarring everybody with a libertarian douchebag brush? Yes. <laughs> We are correct, but email us. Atalus at anyone outside own. of New Zealand will know. Anyway, sorry, that is very Kiwi content. It's election here, you know, it happens. Eat um, a pineapple lamp and get over it. <laughs> um, isn't it interesting how fucking high and mighty the time lords are? Like the oldest oh, race, God. And this, that, and he's like, I'm a time lord. I have that right about changing and history. Both white dudes. I feel like come on, when we've made the last time lord a woman, it would have been interesting. I don't know. Just they're very high and mighty as a society. Like they really I are. also think I would have run away. Yeah. Also, let's unpack this. When the master says to the doctor, "You had companions who could absorb the time vortex. This one's useless." Like yet again, yeah. Martha just being kicked with a rose boot. Yeah. And she's blazing her own path and saving the day and everything, right? But she just constantly has to hear about Rose. Yeah, you can it's see really why horrible. she's sick of it. Like we, I, as a viewer, am sick of it. So yeah, yeah. And then still in the episode, she's still in love with the doctor. She's in an awe of the doctor. She spends a year 
here making a doctor myth, this doctor mythology, rather than being like, I unite for me. I, like, I want to help you. We can do this together. She's like, do it for this man. It's like literally like he's Jesus. I do like that idea of turning the doctor into a fairy tale, like with faith and hope, you know, this idea that you can create change through creating this mythological sort of thing. But it is very Jesus-y. It's very prairie being like, let's all pray for the same thing at the same time. Or like, what I actually thought of was like Tinkerbell. You know how they bring her back to life by everyone being yeah. like, I believe in fairies. I believe in fairies. But I do think we can justify it by the fact that we did have the carrier knight sort of set up this psychic link. Yeah, and the, the, so the she, telepathic pulse thing. But I, it really annoys me that she still at the end goes back and tells him about her friend and how she's still in love with him. Because I think a year walking the fucking earth would have been enough time for her to get over it. Yeah. Even telling this story about what an amazing person he is. I still think that's enough time for her to break this obsession. There's just not enough for me to believe that she's in love with him this much. Yeah. It's an infatuation at best and it cannot survive roaming the earth for a year. And I really would have preferred it if she didn't have to have that ending where she's like, I'm leaving because I'm in love with you. She could just have yeah. left because she's a fucking badass. She wants to continue her life and look after her family. Martha's the bomb and she deserves better. And I think the way that they've written this, that she has been holding this torch for him, holding that flame for a year, is really unflatting to her intelligence. Yeah. And her self-worth. Yeah. Because you're right, that she has nothing to base this love on. It's not been... Reciprocated you know, ever. He gives her vibes of being into her, but definitely not in a love way. And so she's, she's like building yeah. this up. And it's like, don't... I think it's because, again, is it because she's young? She hasn't really had a proper relationship. She, she says, doesn't know. You know, Tom asks her... Is it Tom? Dr. Tom? Yeah, Dr. Tom. Her, you know, is there anyone? And she's like, there was, but there isn't anymore. And she has this flashback. And I'm like, even that's not believable. But at least you for a moment think that she's over it. But she's yeah, not fucking over no. it. No. And also there was someone. You mean you pining after someone who was really treating you badly? That's not enough to... That is... No. That is embarrassing. I don't want to victim blame, but... It makes me... Have some integrity. I do think they really did her dirty. Yeah. As I a character. I think she's better than this. And that's always yep. annoyed me about Martha. Because I'm like, she's amazing. What a great thing she's done here. Like, she saved the world. She's yeah. done that. Yeah. She saved the Doctor so many times throughout the season. Yeah. She deserves better. Agreed. And then, timey-wimey, we just wipe a year. And, and we're not going to wipe it back before the president-elect gets killed. No, no. We'll no, no, no. Wait. Yeah, we'll wait until... <laughs> He's dead. And then, horrible master gets shot by trophy wife. Lucy. Is that her name? Yeah, I think so. I've just written Saxon wife. Yeah. Not a Saxon wife. <laughs> Anglo-Saxon joke. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, she's got a bruised eye for a lot of this episode, that last yeah, episode. Yeah, she got like, smacked. Yeah. It's not, I, it was gross. It was horrible. Domestic violence. Like emotional yeah, yeah, and yeah, physical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Um, yeah. And then it, they go back and that family now has to pretend for the brother, I guess, that they're fine. And Jack goes back to Cardiff where everyone's fucking pissed at him. And he's like, I've literally been murdered and tortured for a year. And yeah. you don't know about it. And that's fascinating. And... The big reveal, he's the face, face of, of Bo. Ha! Were you shocked? Yes, I was fucking shocked. I literally was like, <gasps> okay, you can't see. I did a surprised face. I made an audible gasp mm. at, in my hairs alone. I told you, just wait. Wait until you find out. Yeah, he's the face of Bo. But that's kind of sad because we've seen the death of the face of Bo. But isn't that good? Because Jack does want to die eventually. Oh my god, he dies like in a billion years in the future. Mm. Jack is a really sad character when you think about it. Because, it's really sad. Like, he likes being around people. He likes having relationships. Like, he's a flirt. You know, he's a very communal guy. Mm. And he has to go through his whole existence watching everyone he loves die, basically. Yeah. Oh god, it's so horrible. Ugh. And there's some horrible ways 
ways that people try and kill him in Torchwood, like some things, like I'm remembering, which I might be misremembering, but I'm fairly sure he gets buried alive at some point. Ugh. Um, But it's like in, is it in The Old Guard? Where yeah. she gets chucked at the bottom of the sea? Yeah, 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 the, yeah, the, um, the baddie woman, the other woman. Yeah, when they set that up as a sequel. Which, yeah. Are we ever getting that? And Charlize, she's like, come on. I know. <sighs> My friend, what a ride. What Do a you ride. have... Of course you do. Stand out. I sure do. I love the line, bit of a hermit, a hermit with friends. <laughs> and he's like, Hermits United. We meet up every 10 years and swap stories about caves. It's good fun. I've written down, Hermits United is my standout too. Just, and particularly just great dialogue. He just commits to the bit. He's yeah. like, Hermits United. We meet up every 10 years and talk about caves. Like, sure. Okay. I've always loved that. It was nice to remember that. Also, I love John Sim's performance in this. I really love mm. John Sim as a performer in general. I think this is stellar unhingedness. The bit where he does the funny not funny with his faces is great. Yeah. I love the phone call they have where it's just the two of them on the phone. Just the way that they these characters are obviously so known to each other. Like they know each other. To be known by someone like that is really quite intense. And I think yeah. when he says, you know, we can fight across the constellations if you want. It's cracking from both actors. Yeah, and yeah. also a bit USD. I'm just saying. There's yeah. some, ah, some tension there. <laughs> anyway, and then they have that little standoff on the cliff. And I just, I love them. I love the acting between them. I think John Sim is fucking great. After watching this, I went out and watched all of Life on Mars ah. and basically everything else that he was ever in. Yeah. Like, I love this man. I've not seen it. I sh- should. I'm feeling I should watch it. Mm. Um, also, John Sim, Jelly Baby. <laughs> Which I believe is a throwback to a previous earlier incarnation of the Doctor who oh, used to like jelly offer babies. everyone jelly babies. Mm. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Totally agree. Also my standouts. Just yeah. amazing acting, amazing dialogue. I've written this down, but I can't remember who said it about whom, but because I liked it. Not especially bright, but essentially harmless. <laughs> I can't remember who said what about that. I don't know, but it sounds like a cat. Yeah. And also the other thing, and it's I noticed this thing because of you, genuinely because of you. Great score. Yeah. I noticed the music now. Really cracking score in this one. Mm. I think, yeah, definitely up the ante. I think season three is still my favourite season to date. I really love this season Mm. as a whole. I think it's got the most solid episodes that I really enjoy out of the ones we've watched. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. The ones we've watched. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Wow. Okay. Well, well, well. Next time, we'll be watching the 2007 Christmas special, Voyage of the Damned. And if my memory serves me correctly, I feel like this is the Kylie Minogue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cameo. From the woman, the legend, Kaim No. Let us know your thoughts by emailing a TARDIS of one's own at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the show notes for links and for all the references discussed in this app. Woo, great. Woo, Let's uh, email Kylie and see if she wants to get on the, uh, the podcast. <laughs> oh my god. As a guest. Yeah. Oh what is god. she doing these days? I mean, she actually just came out with a song. Yeah, it's done quite well. Padam, padam? Padam. So she, she padam. Should... I don't know how you say it. The kid, how are the kids saying it? Padam? She should promote that on our widely listened to podcast. Oh my god, lol. Is it Padam or is it Padam? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Are well, you, you are very me? online. You're well, on TikTok. I've seen it written. You're on I've the not TikTok. heard it pronounced. <laughs> Honestly. All right. <laughs> on that note. Good night. Bye. Bye. I love you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.